Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up today... FSM President Panuelo's letter is quite a remarkable document. The Federated States of Micronesia calls on Solomon Islands to abandon its pursuit of a security treaty with China. There is a high level of distress and of course that's complicated by Tonga now experiencing COVID in the community. A team of New Zealand health experts are heading to Nukualofa to help people traumatised by January's volcanic eruption and tsunami and... He understood our struggle, our fight for self-determination. We learn about the Bougainville legacy of noted New Zealand lawyer and academic, the late Moana Jackson. The President of the Federated States of Micronesia, David Panuelo, has written a letter to his Solomon Islands counterpart, Manasseh Songovare, urging him to abandon attempts to sign a security agreement with China. He is the first Pacific Islands leader outside of Australia and New Zealand to speak out publicly on the controversy. The letter posted online by Mr Panuelo's office says such an unprecedented security agreement between China and Solomon Islands poses a risk of increasing geopolitical tensions in the region. Joining me is Gif Johnson, our correspondent in the Marshall Islands. Welcome back, Model Pacific Waves, Gif. An interesting approach being taken here by President Panuelo. What are your initial thoughts? I think FSM President Panuelo's letter is quite a remarkable document in that he's writing to... A Pacific Island colleague, head of state, in a very Pacific Island way. And the letter is really nicely written. Of course, it's about a difficult topic, about the whole issue of the security uh, agreement that's developing with China. Uh, but the, the letter from the Federated States of Micronesia president is just written in a very very interesting and engaging way. It's not your typical diplomatic note or something like that. I mean, a lot of it sounds like the sort of conversation two people might have sitting at a table over a a beer almost, right? And he's talking about both countries' experience in World War II and the Solomons and the Federated States of Micronesia have very similar experiences as being battlegrounds. Um, And the a further thing that makes pa- uh, President Panuelo's letter interesting is the FSM's unique status in the Pacific Island region, which is that it has a compact of free association with the United States, which is a very, which is a very uh, uh, significant agreement that is both a security. Uh, treaty, but also an economic development, economic aid package, long-term decades uh, of association with the United States. And also, FSM has had uh, many decades-long diplomatic ties with China. And this is unique in the region because the other two compact states both have ties with Taiwan. And so it it seems that it gives President Panuelo a bit of a platform. Like he, he's not just a bystander saying, hey, you guys are wrong. And he's not saying that. He's saying, we'd like you to consider this 
you know, look at what what the implications of this are, not only for the Solomon Islands, but for us and the wider Pacific Island family uh, of the forum. And it's just written in a very collegial way. And so it would seem to me that this is like really different from, you know, people going, well, I'm very concerned about this development in the Solomon Islands. Like it's it's not that kind of a response. The specific reference to the agreement that Panuela mentions in the letter is, is mentioning that like having a security presence of China in Solomon Islands is an issue. Now, Manasseh Songovar has got up in parliament and made a big speech about it not being that. What do you think of, of Mr. Songovar's comments um, as compared to what Panuelo is saying? Well, I think the, the people like President Panuelo and others, they're responding to the information that's available and possibly um, that, you know, if more information is provided by the Solomon's prime minister or his government, like that, that enlightens people about like what is in fact, you know, coming out of this, perhaps that will uh, like remove some of the, like the, the disagreement that's obviously evident in the region and coming from various diplomatic partners and, and friends, friendly governments. So it would seem that, you know, it's a good thing to have things out on the table, have things open. I mean, as the prime minister notes, he's a, the, the Solomon's is a sovereign country and it can make decisions that, you know, that it feels are in the best interest of its country. The thing is, President Panuelo comments on that. And his comment is that, you know, he believes that the agreement would have, would, would significantly impact other countries in the region. And so he's asking the Solomon's prime minister for, like, to take a look at it beyond just his own, you know, just the Solomon Islands interests and how he may be looking at it that way, but to take a look at the wider uh, implications to FSM and to the Pacific Islands Forum family. Uh, And I think that's an important part of this. And again, the way he's written it is in a very collegial way. And he's, I think he would really like to have communication and be able to, you know, be able to uh, have a friendly dialogue about it. He's not trying to throw rocks uh, at the Solomon Islands. It's very clear uh, that that's, you know, his his effort is to reach uh, Prime Minister Songovare, right? Like to, you know, get through that sort of superficial uh, barrier of people are against this and to say, no, I'm kind of coming at it from a totally different point of view. And I hope you'll take a look at my, what, what I'm thinking. People locally that we, we've talked to, there, there has been concern uh, before this leak came out. There has been, we had obviously the massive riots and all of the destruction in the capital last year. Um, and since then, obviously we've had the regional intervention force there and uh, more recently, a small contingent of Chinese police who've been um, conducting exercises, which pictures of which have been quite concerning to the Solomon Island public because they were obviously um, using replica weapons in their 
in their training and in the in the images that are coming out of that. So some of the concern that um, we've heard from Solomon Islands is that they're concerned that this security agreement will see the Solomon Islands police start acting like the Chinese police would do in terms of suppressing any protests or any public um, disturbances. So uh, what are your thoughts about, about that sort of space in terms of Songovari positioning himself in in a security way where he has been talking about it being a response to domestic issues and and what direction he goes down in terms of the training and the development and the the building up of the Solomon Islands police listening to or seeing his remarks in parliament the other day where he was was fairly critical of of what he kind of said was liberal democracies or liberal hegemony, I think he used that word, is the implication of what he's saying is that he's leaning in a direction of a more authoritarian government. Like like he says, why should we, just because like some of our partners and donors are liberal, so-called liberal democracies, why should we follow that pattern? And, you know, that we don't see that that's necessarily the the, the way to good development and, and good uh, outcomes for our country. And I would just say that the fact of the matter is, is that if a security agreement with China would normally raise concerns simply by virtue of the Chinese government's repression of free speech, of any criticism of their government, of the jailings of people who are activists or report news or whatever. Um, I mean, China is not a beacon of democracy and freedom of press and freedom of speech. And in the Pacific Islands, I mean, I would argue that those are things that we take for granted in most of our countries and that most countries have Bill of Rights in their constitutions, differently stated, but that that are very much linked to Pacific Island culture, what we might say the Pacific way, which is people get together. There's we try to have consensus decision making. People try to, you know, get together and bring people together. Like that's an island way. So if if a government's saying, well, we don't think that's the right direction, my opinion, and I said this in the newspaper and in, in Majuro this week in an editorial, I said a government that cloaks anti-democracy and movement toward authoritarian rule behind a banner of sovereignty is a government that needs to be shown the door. Democracy and freedoms associated with it are to be appreciated, ensured, and expanded for the benefit of the people. And I believe that firmly. And I would just say that, you know, the normal average citizen of Pacific Island countries likes their freedoms and and has become used to a certain level of freedom and if we're if a government is going to take on a very authoritarian uh, i mean if that's like what he's announcing and i you know all i can see is from the criticism of so-called liberal democracies well i mean is perhaps we'll see a solomon islands version of a democracy but it sort of has the sound of moving closer to China's model. And I would say for people who 
who like to read newspapers and listen to radio and watch TV and use the internet all freely and without control, anything to do with China's involvement is a concern because the Chinese government is not friendly to freedom of expression and freedoms generally. A team of New Zealand health experts will be helping people in Tonga still traumatised by the devastating volcanic eruption and tsunami in January. The eight-strong team will be offering mental health support to the kingdom for five weeks. Pacifica Medical Association Chief Executive Debbie Sorensen says there are many people who require support for their well-being, particularly children. She spoke with RNZ Pacific reporter Alicia Foon. We've had a team on standby following the eruption in Tsunami in Tonga in January and have really just been waiting for the government to give us clearance. What has become very clear is there is a high level um, of distress and anxiety following the eruption in the tsunami and of course that's complicated by Tonga now experiencing COVID in the community. Tell me more about the team and how long are they going for? Yes, we're setting up a psychosocial team, and so it's a team led by Dr. Sione Baka, who is a very experienced uh, and well-regarded psychiatric nurse working in the mental health field. Uh, we have uh, three more nurses with him, uh, mental health nurses, and we have a social worker counsellor. Uh, On top of that, we also have a nurse who's responsible for infection control and making sure that the team um, don't get COVID while they're away and that they are taking all the precautions that are required. And, of course, we have some logistical support as well. So it's an eight-person mission, and they'll be up there for five weeks. Will they be working alone or in partnership with others? Yes, they're working, um, obviously, with the Ministry of Health. Uh, and under the direction of Dr. Siali Akuola, who is the Secretary of Health. But they're also working with Ofa Gutenbeo Likiliki from the Women's Crisis and Child Centre. Um, and so working with a group of NGOs who are already providing um, counselling and pastoral support for people in the community. So uh, Ofa and her team have already started to identify where Um, our team would be best deployed out in the villages and they will go out and they'll spend time, you know, talking to people who are distressed, um, you know, who might have anxiety. Uh, They'll also be doing some training across the NGO sector and in the hospital, uh, training staff around things like brief interventions and, um, you know, how to manage anxiety, depression, those sorts of things. There is a mental health service in Tonga. Um, Dr. Mapapoloka has for many years uh, led the psychiatric service which works out of the hospital. But of course, that service is mostly focused on people with quite severe mental health issues. And as we know, um, you know, a lot of people in the community experience anxiety, depression, Um, you know, those sorts of things which largely go um, untreated. And so we have actually deployed a team previously following Cyclone Gita, um, and they did do some work out there, but this is quite different in that we're partnering with the NGO and community sector. And, you know, we will be looking at working alongside churches, for example, and congregations and youth groups. Who will they be supporting? Certainly um, 
you know, the smaller islands where people were evacuated and certainly at the top of the peninsula, you know, Hatafu, uh, around there where, you know, the whole village was virtually wiped out. Um, you know, those displaced people, of course, are top of the list uh, at needing support and intervention and reassurance. Uh, you know, we hear stories, for example, of, you know, a woman in the village that every time a truck goes past, she thinks it's the volcano again. Um, you know, children being really fearful of the water, uh, not being able to sleep. So, you know, there's quite a lot of trauma sitting there. And so uh, the priority really will be for the displaced people first. And there is um, a potential opportunity that uh, some of the team might be deployed to Hapai, which was also affected. But we won't know that, um, you know, until they've been on, on the ground for a couple of weeks. Will they be working the whole time or will there be some rest days? <laughs> ah, um, that's a really good question. So when they arrive in Tonga, of course, they will be in quarantine. Um, and as they're a health team, it's likely that they'll be able to start work pretty early next week. Um, and then they'll work the whole time. But they expect to be working, for example, on Saturdays, um, where people might be available who might have been working or on the plantations. And, of course, they'll be doing work on Sundays with churches you know, after service, going to service and talking to people, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, we like to make sure that our team gets to have some rest days, but we're also really aware that, you know, they're only in country for a short period of time and um, people are very keen when they're deployed to actually do as much work as they possibly can. The Pacifica Medical Association previously supported recovery efforts in Tonga following Cyclone Gita in 2018. Noted Aotearoa New Zealand lawyer and academic Moana Jackson, who has just died, is being hailed as instrumental in Bougainville's quest for self-determination. The Papua New Guinea Autonomous Region is now on the cusp of achieving its goal of independence, but when Moana Jackson travelled to Bougainville in the early 1990s, it was gripped by horrific civil war. The secretary of the separatists' government, the Bougainville Interim Government, was Martin Miriori, he told on Wiseman Moana Jackson's advice was vital to Bougainville's political progress. You worked with Moana Jackson. What are your memories of him? Very quietly spoken person. He thinks very carefully as to what, what he says. He came to Arawa in the early stage of the crisis. We took him across, uh, across the Solomon Islands, and my family looked after him in Arawa. And uh, he was involved in some of the initial uh, talks with Francis Ornan, he actually, we actually took him up to uh, Panguna or Guava to meet up with Francis Ornan, but he's a very, very um, gentle, shall I say, gentle and uh, uh, very soft-spoken person. Before he says something, he thinks very, very carefully as to what he says, but uh, we had a lot of respect for him because he worked closely with the Maoris, so that's one of the reasons why he was so welcoming to the leaders on Google ABC at that time and BRA. He had a real affinity, do you think? He really he understood our struggle, our fight for self-determination. He understood that because he could compare that to the Maori situation to, for his own people. But of course, with the Maori, they've got, uh, with the New Zealand, uh, you know, in New Zealand, they are, they are way up. Huh? New Zealand is one of the places where multiracial people 
uh, really welcoming, you know, especially people from the South Pacific. It's a melting pot, more or less, uh, of the South Pacific. So I'm, I'm really so sad. Then you'll, be, you'll become part of the history uh, of Bogomil, definitely. How did he become involved? Well, during those early stages, I think uh, Moses and uh, Mike, they got in touch with him. In the, while they were in Sydney. He heard about the Bogon situation and he, he decided to come. So that's how, that's how we, we got him across to Bougainville. Sorry, so Moses Havini and Mike? Mike Foster, yes. They were based in Australia, of course, as you know. And the three of us were, of course, campaigning internationally in those days. So Moana, having heard of the Bougainville uh, situation, got in touch with uh, the two of them and then they made arrangements, we made arrangements for Moana to come across to Bougainville yeah. and we picked him up. What was the nature of the work that he ended up doing for you? Uh, he was advising on, uh, on the, the uh, principle of self-determination, how to go about, you know, going to the UN Human Rights Commission in order for Bougainville's case to be presented to the international community. And that's how we started the international campaign. We were involved with some of the international lawyers, prominent international lawyers, and Moana was one of them. They were the, the ones who really advised us as to go about how to push for self-determination through the Human Rights Commission in Geneva. We were always, from 1991 right up to 1997, we were always in Geneva at the Human Rights Commission. He didn't go over there with you? No, no, he didn't go, but uh, he came to Bougainville on the ground so that he could touch base or meet Francis Ona and the BIGPRA leadership. And my family looked after him in Arawa for a good period of time, I must say. <laughs> good period of time. Yeah, we looked after even people like uh, John Hayes. <laughs> he was the High Commissioner to Port Mosby, the General High Commissioner. He was on the official capacity. He came across from Port Mosby to Bogor, and we, we even, my family even looked after him. Moana was very important to the process. Yeah, he was one of the founding or foundation. On the, on the issue of us getting proper advice as to uh, how to go about pushing for self-determination for Bougainville. He was quite instrumental. And, of course, we understood because, you know, the Maori situation was kind of comparable to, to our, you know, what we were fighting for, self-determination. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Modemada!